Now, let's read the text. Let's start at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And I will read through the, um, through the end of the chapter. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from, God, from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. Hey guys, um, it, it seems to me that it would be wise that before we try to wrench some kind of application out of this, uh, this portion of God's Word, that we need to make sure that we know what it says before we start jumping to some conclusions. Because I think there's a danger in this text of doing that very thing. So let's, uh, let's first make sure that we understand what's here before we... Um, before we race off into some kind of conclusion. Uh, the first thing that I would suggest that you could do to help you understand this paragraph is to insert a parenthesis. Now, there's not a parenthesis in here. I'm simply saying that it would help you understand what's being said. If you put a parenthesis right after the first word, therefore, you put the left-hand side of the parenthesis there and then put the right-hand side of the parenthesis after the last word in verse 1, which is hands. And then it would read something like this. It would read, therefore, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, etc., etc. Everything in verse 1, everything in that parenthesis is nothing more than Paul identifying his audience. He's speaking primarily to a Gentile audience. And so th that information in there is about them, just telling who he's writing to or what, who, to, who he's speaking to. And he does do something in there that uh, he, he speaks rather derisively about all the circumcised call you the uncircumcision. And we're going to come back to that uh, later on, but um, he does do that in verse 1. 
But primarily, he's simply identifying his audience. Now, guys, I think you know that as Christians, there are certain things that we are supposed to forget. We're supposed to forget that um, people sinned against us. We're supposed to cover that with love. We're supposed to forget that there are offenses and uh, we're not supposed to hold grudges. We're supposed to lay those things down. We're supposed to forget that. But there are some things that we're supposed to remember. Paul says that twice. He says in verse 11, therefore remember. And then he repeats the word again in verse 12. Remember. There are certain things that we're supposed to remember. And the thing that's in view here that we're supposed to remember has to do with Paul's description of the days prior to our coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. He's describing... Our condition before we became Christians. And boy, he says a mouthful in verse 12. A mouthful. He says, first of all, here's, here's the description of us before we became Christians. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Alienated. Isn't that an ugly word? You know, the root of the word is aliens. We were aliens. Then he says, having no hope and without God in the world. But my my personal favorite is really in verse 13 where he says, you who were once far off. Boy, ain't that the truth. Not, Not far off like you're far off the mark. In terms of distance, we were way away from anything that was godly, anything that was associated with this God. We were, we were far, far off. Now, guys, I, I think part of the reason that Paul wants us to remember those days is that, um, is that grace becomes sweeter, does it not, when we remember the place where God found us. You know, things are pretty good now, but they haven't always been this good. And, and uh, I remember those days when I was far off. I, I don't know whether you can do that. I, I can. I became a Christian when I was 22. I remember those days when I was separated, alienated, no hope. Far off. I remember those days. And the rest of this text, and I, I, I hope you will, <laughs> well, I guess I hope you'll listen every Sunday, but I hope you'll listen this morning. Because he's about to discuss some matters that are very sensitive. And um, it will help us, and by the way, I think this is the reasoning of the Apostle Paul, it will help his audience to grapple with the things that he's about to introduce, if you remember those days then we were far off. He's going to confront you with some pretty serious stuff. And what will help um, our response to that pretty serious stuff 
is that we remember those days when we were far off, alienated, strangers, without hope. He then, in verse 13, there's another one of those but nows. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I made a big to-do about those but nows. You know, the thing that is the, 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 the transition point of my being far off and being brought near. The thing that was in the middle there, that transitional piece, was not my graduation from college. It wasn't my getting married. It wasn't our having our first baby. The reason, the, the thing that's the centerpiece or the, 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 um, the watershed between my far off days and my near two days is that but God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. That's why I'm near. I was brought near. And then I want you to notice in, in the text, it says, I was brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, guys, just, just pause and think about that much. People who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. <laughs> there you have it. That's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Far off people brought near by the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. Not, not, not brought near by some kind of intellectual breakthrough. Not, not brought near because of uh, some rigorous life moral reform. Not, not brought near because of some political conquest, a la Islam. But brought near by Jesus Christ standing in the place that I should have stood and receiving punishment for a debt that I produced. That's how we got near. And then from there, um, really going on to um, these next verses, which are really the centerpiece of the, of the text. In verses 14, 15, and 16, Paul tells you something that he thinks is really big. In fact, um, in chapter 3, he calls it the mystery. In fact, I, I don't think this is a, a misstatement in telling you that the Apostle Paul viewed this business in verses 14, 15, and 16 as the very essence of his apostolic ministry. You know, um, we tend to, th- or at least I tend to think, that the role that the Apostle Paul played in the, in the kingdom of God is that he defined justification by faith alone for us. I mean, he was the one that gave us the great definition of the gospel in Romans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Paul doesn't see it that way. Paul sees that the reason that he has an apostolic ministry is the thing that he calls the mystery in chapter 3. We'll come next week. But he explains it to you in verses 14, 15, and 16. For the Apostle Paul, this is the reason. This is my day job. This is the reason that God made me into an apostle to bring about this. Can I read it to you? 
verse 14, 15, and 16. If you've still got your Bibles open, ladies and gentlemen, you need to look at this. This is the outcome that is supposed to be produced by the finished work of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what you find in those three verses is why Paul thinks God gave him an apostolic ministry. To effect that. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, through, the, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, uh, people who were far off were brought near. That's the gospel. But, by that very same work, Jesus Christ is destroying a wall of hostility and establishing peace between two groups of people who formerly hated each other. Again, look at the text. Did you notice the repetition of the word both? Look at verse 14. Uh, who has made us both in chapter, uh, verse 16, and might reconcile us both. And then in verse 18, through him we were, we both. Who's the both? Well, that would be Jews and Gentiles. Now, did you also notice the repetition of the word peace? Four times. Um, verse 14, he himself is our peace. Um, verse 15, so making peace. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Did you notice the, the, the repetition of this thing called um, killing the hostility? Um, verse 14, dividing wall of hostility. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you see what Paul is trying to say? He, he is trying to communicate that there is this great division between two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Then as a result of the finished work of Jesus Christ, him spilling his blood, those two groups have been made one body, one new man, united in Jesus Christ. Even the text says, he himself is our peace. Breaking down the walls of hostility. Destroying hostility. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot overstate the hostility that existed between those two groups of people. But... Then he says in verse 18, he says that we all now, for through him we both have access 
because of Jesus Christ, both groups now have access. Whereas the circumcision would have said, no, no, only we have the access. Paul says, and in his mind, this is the reason that he was an apostle, that he was, his apostolic ministry was to effect this destroying of hostility and communicating that these two groups have been made one in Christ Jesus. No more hostility, no more walls, no more divisions, no more barriers. He himself is our peace. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was a thought that was unthinkable prior to the the ministry of the Apostle Paul. All these privileges, now ours. Um, In verse 18, for through him we both have access. Not just the new, not just the Jews. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to people who thought they were near when in fact they weren't. And so we have been united into one man. And then just, just quickly, he illustrates, just trying to explain the text, he illustrates this, this new community with three different illustrations. He talks about a new household, that is, we're in the same family. He talks about being a fellow citizens, that is, we're in the same kingdom. And he talks about being a temple. And he says it's all built on the, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone, which in essence says that um, the church is built on the New Testament. You got it? Because now the real work begins, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, the real tough stuff is now. Because there are some real... There are some real ethical heavyweights in that passage. Did you see them? Well, in the, in the smaller sense and in the short run, it has to do with church unity. In the longer run and in the bigger picture, it has to do with racism. You see, when we turn from Ephesians chapter 2, where we find Paul describing the ideal, and then we have to face, we already have to compare the concrete realities of the church of Jesus Christ today with this. There is often a tragic difference. Because what you see so often in the church today is disunity and discord and even racism. And and most of the time, it has nothing to do with ethnicity. Christians have a way of erecting barriers in the places where Jesus has destroyed them. 
We saw that happen in our very own community, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but um, before both services, I, I, I try to work the crowd. <laughs> and by that, I mean, what I try to do is find people who are faces that I don't know and uh, visitors, maybe uh, people that I don't uh, haven't met before. And I try to introduce myself to them. I try um, to make them feel a little bit comfortable and, 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 you know, introduce myself because they'll be hearing from me in a few minutes. And, and so I try to meet the folks who are visiting. And, and on occasion, not, not all the time, but um, a good deal of the time, on occasion, the people will say something like this to me. They'll say, well, yeah, we are visiting. We're looking for a new church because um, our church just went through a terrible split. And I always say something like this. I say, I'm so sorry, and I am sorry. I'm so sorry that you've had to experience something like that. No Christian should ever have to go through something like that. And I want to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. You will never experience that here at Gracie Van. But you'll never experience it, not because we're, uh, we're holier people, <laughs> or we're more righteous people, or we're better people than anybody else. <clears throat> but here's my vow to you, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> if we ever start fighting like that, I will see to it. That the primary feeder of that fire is removed. Me. Because, ladies and gentlemen, for us to fight like that is an open denial of the very thing Paul says, I was called into the ministry to produce. And the ones who seem to notice it the most is the non-Christian world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, having said that, you must understand, don't misunderstand what Paul is pleading for in Ephesians 2. You must not miss the point of the text. The only unity worth talking about And the only one that's in view in this text is possible only under certain conditions. We waste our time talking about unity instead of preaching a gospel about shed blood, which is the only thing that can ever produce any kind of unity. Trying to forge a unity on any other basis is a waste of time. Guys, it's like medicating the symptoms without treating the disease. Bemoaning the lack of church unity is pointless. For heaven's sakes, preach the gospel. Do you remember what the disease is? It's outlined for you in verse 12. The disease is... We're separated from Christ. 
We're alienated from God. We have no hope and we're far off. And very remarkably, very interestingly, because we are, it seems to suggest that we become proud of our distinctions. The circumcision says about the uncircumcision. Well, well, those guys are just, they're just nothing. And the intellectuals say about the non-intellectual, oh, well, those guys don't get it. It'll <laughs> and so we have this false view of ourselves which spawns prejudice. We look down on the other dogs. That's what Jews called Gentiles. And that false view of ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, will always produce a false view of others. And so to maintain my high view of myself will invariably mean that I have to, that I will get or I will adopt a low view of everybody else. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the essence of prejudice. Jews did it to Gentiles. Greeks did it to barbarians. Whites do it to blacks. Blacks do it to whites. Aryans do it to non-Aryans. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, in all its ugliness. That's called racism. And now at least you know where it came from. Guys, we apparently have forgotten things that Paul told us to remember. We have forgotten that we have been brought near by the sheer grace and mercy and power of God, we were far off. But we have been brought near by the richness and power of God. End of resume. And so, my friends, the, the, the cure for all of our disharmonies with other people is Christ alone. Because he alone can change the heart. And if you're going to ever have peace and the elimination of hostilities like this, it's going to require a changed heart. To rant and to rave about how ugly is prejudice won't change prejudice. To thunder from some pulpit about the need for church unity won't produce church unity. It is only as we understand and grasp our commonality in Jesus Christ. That's what's in view in this text. Just recently, um, actually it was in the paper on uh, September the 4th, 
There was an article in the paper, uh, in the commercial appeal, that was written by a, a local editorialist who is uh, somewhat controversial herself. And uh, it caught my eye because the title of the article was Leaders Recast Samaritan Parable. And so I started reading it, and um, of course the, um, the, the point of the article had to do with the merger of the two school systems, the county schools and the public schools. City schools, excuse me, county schools and city schools. And um, as I read the article, I began to feel this twinge of, um, of conviction. I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe. Because, actually, I, I left out on something. She's also talking about a group of clergymen that are banding together to try and help this whole merger thing take place. And um, these clergymen are talking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I started feeling, well, maybe I need to get a part of that. Maybe I need to call and tell somebody, you know, I'll help or I'll whatever. And then I came to the end of the article. It's almost the end of the article. And the spokesman for this group of clergymen said this. He said, we're leaving our theology at the door. We're laying our sectarian differences at the door and we're raising our common conviction for education for all children. Now, ladies and gentlemen, first of all, may I, I hope you know that I am for the education of all children. In fact, I'll even go a step further. Francis Schaeffer used to talk about being a co-belligerent. Um, that is, for example, locking arms with Mormons to fight the issue of abortion, let's say. Co-belligerency. I'm all for it. But ladies and gentlemen, you can count on this. If you find me locking arms with a Mormon to fight abortion, I will not be leaving my theology at the door. Because ladies and gentlemen, that is to say, we can produce unity with no theology. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that will never work. Never. The only unity that's worth having is the one that is promoted by my commonality in Jesus Christ. I have been made one with all those who've embraced him. You know, guys, several years ago, back in 2003, the the elders gave me permission to go to Budapest, Hungary for three months. And I, um, I loved it. I would love to do it again, and if the opportunity ever comes up again, I'll be going back to the elders asking for the permission again, because I'd love to do it again. But I pastored an international church. Um, international means that it, it speaks English. And so it was an English-speaking church, and, um, but I mean, it was international in every sense of the term, because it was comprised, I, I guess it was about three or hundred people or so, but there were, um, there were Russians, there were Latvians, there were Bosnians, there were um, uh, Hungarians, of course. There were Italians. There were uh, some Nigerians, some Kenyans. There were people from Chad and people from the Ivory Coast, just to mention a few. And so when you stood behind the pulpit and you looked out over this audience, you, you, you saw this group of people and you thought, now, that's what heaven's going to look like. <laughs> Not like this in Grace of Band. We're far too white. But... Um, Anyway, it, uh, it was just a glorious experience, and we, we really, over the course of the three months, became very fond of a lot of people, but two in particular I want to tell you about. One was a Nigerian who was 6'10". His name was Osas, 
And Osas uh, played basketball in Nigeria. He was married to a Hungarian girl. And uh, he was precious. He blew out his knee and uh, had not gotten good medical care in, in, in uh, Nigeria. And so his basketball career was over. And so he pushed this little cart down the streets uh, in the streets of Budapest to make a living for his family. But we took him out to lunch one day and, and just, they, they, I mean, she didn't speak hardly any English. He spoke a little. But just really grew fond of them. They had a little marital problem thing that, that I think we helped them with. The other person that we really grew fond of was, a, was an African woman. Her name was Linda. She was from the Ivory Coast. And um, she spoke better English. They, she called it something, pig Latin or something like that. But uh, um, uh, we just loved Linda. I mean, she was just such a sweet, wonderful thing to preach to. She just loved hearing the gospel. And so one day we decided we were going to take her out to lunch. And so um, we took her out to the Burger King being the big spender that I am, and, and bought Linda's lunch. Well, Linda, let me tell you her story. She told us her story at Burger King. And Linda, <clears throat> apparently her, her father was a, a bigwig in the uh, Ivory Coastian uh, government, but he was murdered by a political coup in Ivory Coast. And her brother had been imprisoned by the same political coup and she had fled. She ran. She ended up in a refugee camp outside of Budapest and but she refused to go in the refugee camp because if you know anything about refugee camps if you go in then you lose your ability to get out unless the government says you can so she didn't want to go in knowing that she would be <coughs> she would help she would be held there until the government said that she could leave and so she hid in the bushes this single black woman young hid in the bushes for days I don't know how many days but and she was fed through um, the, the, the fence, people inside the, the refugee camp fed her food outside the, uh, the, the fence, and she hid in the bushes. Now, how the next step took place, I do not know, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe she, she brought money with, from the Ivory Coast with her. I don't know. But she ended up in downtown Budapest, and she opened a little store. A couple of years later, Susie and I went back in to see her store. It was a little hole in the wall, and she sold socks and scarves and I think some lingerie and... And, um, but on one of these occasions when we were having lunch with her in 2003 at Burger King, she begged us to come see her apartment. She was so proud of her new apartment. So Susie and I delighted to go. We drove her home and found a parking place, which was always a feat in, in Budapest. And we went up to her apartment and, um, I mean, by our standards, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> mm, very modest, very minimalist. It had a kitchen, had a bathroom indoors, which was huge, had a bedroom and, and a little sitting room when she had a Coke and some cookies for us. She continued to tell us her story and yada, 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 yada. And I'm telling you, it was rich. And she showed us around her apartment that she was so proud of, she began to cry. And she cried, we began to cry. And so we kissed and hugged and prayed and and on the way out, I tried to put some money. I took some money. I had some Hungarian money. I don't know how much it was. It was foreign money. And it was Hungarian money. And you know, when you've got foreign money, it's all play money. So I just put some money on her counter and, and left. She later gave it back to me. But here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. What makes me love a 6'10 black man 
whose knees blown out and gotten marital problems. Jesus Christ. What makes me love a single black woman from the Ivory Coast? Jesus Christ. What makes me love anything besides myself? Jesus Christ. And to leave that at the door? will never produce any kind of unity worth having. I read an article this week on, online about the new Miss Universe. She's from Angola. She's a very lovely woman. Her name was um, Lila Lopes or Lopez or whatever. And she was black, and so, of course, they asked her a question about racism. And um, her, her reply was this. She said, any racist needs to seek help. It's not normal in the 21st century to think in that way. Well, I appreciate her answer, but I got some news for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's never been normal to think that way. Racism has never been normal. Racism is simply the product of you and me thinking way too highly of ourselves and forgetting That we were once. Far off. Guys. Only Jesus can produce the kind of unity that we want. Because he tells me the truth about myself. And when I look into the face of Jesus Christ. I know that there's nothing that I have to boast about. And that same thing is true. For all. He himself is our peace. And the only way that I know to produce anything closely resembling that is to preach Christ. And as feebly as I know how, To live the gospel. And here's the gospel. We were once far off. And we have been brought near. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Our Father, would you enable us as a church, me as a pastor, to promote the great beauties of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for us? And would you permit us the great sweetness of exchanging love for one another? Not because we're such great loving people, but because we know that there is a commonality in Jesus Christ which we share. Whether folks are white, black, pink, or green, 
that our unity is found in Christ. We pray, of course, in his name.